All right. Well, welcome to another episode of The Bible Guys. Uh, my name is Rick Kleiner, and I'm joined as always with Jerry Hollinger. Jerry, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, man. Jerry, today's question is probably a question that we have received. Now, we're in season two. Um, we got this question at some cases and some places back at season one. Um, not that we were trying to ignore the question or even scared of the question. It's more about we wanted to build a listener base before we really answered the question. Um, so here's the question. The question comes from um, one of our listeners. And the question is, what does the passage mean when it says, when Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over the man. And so we want to talk about that passage here today. Okay, so Jerry, we have some. You said you had some preliminary remarks you want to make before we really dig into the text. Yes, one preliminary remark, which I think is helpful, is just kind of very, very generally from a bird's eye view, just looking at our major target that we're addressing, and that people understand there are a lot of groups on the feminist landscape. So I would just begin by pointing out, you know, on the one hand, you have radical extreme feminists. Uh, these are the kind of feminists you would not want to meet in a dark alley because I know they could beat me up. But, you know, they're, they're so radical. They'd be the, the Amazon type that think they're superior to men. I'm not interested in interacting with that. Then you have Christian feminists, which claim to be Christians, but really don't take the Bible seriously. And then you have, I guess what we would call evangelical feminists who, who claim to take the text um, as authoritative. And indeed, there are very solid evangelical scholars who would disagree with the conclusions we're probably going to reach. So, and there, there are more than that, but I think just generally, it's helpful for people to understand, you know, what kind of branch we're talking about uh, as far as feminism is concerned. So we're mainly going to be commenting that would be more apropos to evangelical feminists. Yeah. And I think we can all, we can probably safely say we, you and I may disagree to an extent on this. Not, not so far. I don't, I think I've shared with you mine. I haven't really heard um, yours too much on this one, um, but this is what makes the Bible guys fun. You turn, you tune in and you see what's going to happen live. Um, no editing here. So uh, let's talk this way through. Let's go kind of how we want to go through it. Um, there are several, I've got six possible ways to interpret this passage. And for our listeners, we are in first Timothy chapter two, and we're going to be kind of starting around looking at verses. Um, I mean, verses eight through 15 is really the context. There's more before that, of course, um, but I'm probably going to go ahead and start reading in um, verse 8. And so what I want to do is read the passage, and then we'll talk about the these, I've got six, you may have one, a few of possible ways this has been interpreted, because we want to do our research. We want to hear, here's what other people have said, and maybe why we would maybe disagree with that, Okay. And I think it's a good idea, too, as you go through the, the views, we can also jump in and comment on various words in the text. Yeah. And there's discussion about virtually every one of them. So Absolutely. Yeah. It's all that, too. All right. Well, here's what it says in verse 8, um, starting in chapter 2 of First Timothy, and this is the ESV. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly and all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, as always, we see a lot of passages that have more than probably one topic, but for this episode, we're going to focus on what's being said in verses 11 and 12. So um, let's walk through this. Let's see the first one. Okay, the first uh, opinion I hear a lot um, in different opinions on this text, the first one I hear is that Paul was wrong. Um, just flat out, he was wrong. This one is kind of championed by uh, a professor from 19, in 1975. Um, just say before my time, finally I get to say that. Um, not very rarely do I get to say that. Just a year before my time. Um, his name is Paul Jewett. Um, that's J-E-W-E-T-T, if you might listening on that one. And he said that Paul's teaching here was an error because mm-hmm. he seems to restate or reiterate a misinterpretation of this text by the, the rabbis, um, mm-hmm. where they misinterpret the second creation account of Genesis 2. And he says, right. which, and what, what Jewett argues is that it didn't get enough weight to the first account of the Genesis 1 account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love that. Uh, of course, he would not be one of the evangelical feminist types we were talking about. But the thing I love about Jewett and, and others in kind of his time frame, I love it when people say Paul is wrong or Jesus is wrong. Because then we can see, okay, this is really our point of departure. Mm-hmm. You think the Bible has mistakes in it. You think it's a human book. Uh, you think you can stand over the text? Good. Thanks for saying that. So at least we don't have to play these games where we're trying to twist what the text says to fit what we say. So yeah. I find that rather refreshing. Of course, I think it's horrible, Yeah. but I think it's refreshing at the same time. And as you said, quite often a spinoff of that is people will say he is, Paul was so dominated by his rabbinic upbringing that he just couldn't, you know, get past this particular issue. Yeah, and of course, the danger here is um, that picking and choosing what to accept from Paul. Right. That, that's really not the what we would call evangelical acceptable kind of thing. When yes. We're dealing with the text. That's not something we are going to say. That's not a Bible guy's approved way of handling a text. That's exactly right. You pick and choose what you want. Yeah, we we sit under the text, not over it. Right, and I believe that's the and that's what I appreciate. Uh, and most of our listeners may know that you and I met. I mean, you were my professor in grad school, and then we were colleagues for a while. And I remember when I was on the hiring, when I was in the, in front of the, the group of professors, and you were on the hiring. You know, you're you're asking the question. That was the only question you asked me. You just you asked me the question: um, Do we get our beliefs from the text, or do we put our beliefs uh, over the text? And that was the only question you asked, and I think I got it right because I got hired. But um, absolutely, we put we get our beliefs from the text, not put our opinions into it. All right. So second option. Um, so another option is that Paul's um, teaching here about women being teaching or exercising authority. This was actually aimed at what were seen to be as excesses in first century, um, the first century Greco-Roman world. 
um, that it wouldn't be specifically what we're talking about today, not normal teaching and exercise of authority, but rather the excessive ways. And this is brought out by um, S.M. Baugh and mm -hmm. in his book or his article, actually, um, A Foreign World, Ephesus in the First Century. And he writes this. He says that Ephesus was kind of this um, bastion of feminist supremacy uh, in the first century. And so um, really uh, what's happening here is that Paul is addressing that rather than um, addressing normal. So like rather than saying um, ladies can never teach over a man or over a man or teach a man, but rather, you know, you got to reject this whole idea of feminist supremacy, which is, which was infiltrating Ephesus at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I think one of the big dangers there without specifically interacting with the article is we need to be really careful to uh, come up with cultural reconstructions mm -hmm. and then hold them over the text. Certainly we consult culture to help us understand the Bible, but, you know, some kind of reconstruction can't, you know, trump the meaning of the passage. We have to start with what do the words mean? How does Paul argue? Um, and I, I think there's a big danger presented there. Yeah. And um, I've gotten this, these um, options that some people have been using, um, you know, we, we brought these out the table. I want to also give credit. This was a lot of this was from R. Kent Hughes's work in dealing with first Timothy. Um, most people might know this book, but it's from R. Kent Hughes. And then Brian Chappell's also, they're preaching the word commentary uh, out of first and second Timothy and Titus. And in that uh, Hughes and Chappell say that, um, you know, when, when reconstructing a historical uh, issue, the problem is, is that's, that wasn't the case. Um, really, as a right. matter of fact, <laughs> history tells us that Ephesus was a conservative area um, with very traditional views. Matter of fact, they even had a pagan cult that was ruled by men and not this feminist supremacy cult that was out there. And again, that's the danger. Yeah, he, Go ahead. Yeah, you're right. And then even if you found groups within the same culture that were opposite, then you choose the one you want because of your agenda. So that's why you have to let the text speak first. And there might, this might be a good time to mention this also. And if I um, am portending one of the views you're going to give, excuse me, but some of this also goes back to the very poor translation of the King James on this. Um, when the King James translated this, I do not permit a, a woman to teach nor to usurp authority. Yeah. So the idea that, that almost intimates is that the problem wasn't that women were teaching in Ephesus. The problem was they were forcibly um, grabbing these teaching roles. And the modern translations have corrected that. It should be something like, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority or to exercise authority. But I think that older King James translation has lended support to this idea that, oh, Paul's not against teaching, just don't forcibly seize it. Yeah. And um, so that could be relevant to that position as well. Well, also, and that leads us to that third one, um, which I think the, the third view kind of trickles out of 
um, the second view, and you just mentioned it. That third view is that the Greek word translated to have authority um, should be interpreted with a negative meaning, such as to, to domineer or to control, or as you said, the King James had it, to usurp. Um, and you brought up the King James again. It's kind of funny. Our, um, our episode where we talk about Bible translations, which was our first episode we dropped, um, most the most listens we've ever gotten. So I'm thinking people are trying to, they were checking us out and see where we stand on that. And we, we did make, we did make some pretty bold statements, I think uh, yeah. in favor of other translations that are out there, some better ones out there. So, um, so that would, then that view is, as you just said, this would allow women to teach. If I was going to hold that view, it would allow the women to teach as long as it wasn't done in a domineering or controlling way. Um, they weren't trying right. to usurp the power. Um, so, so in that view, you could legitimately, according to this text, then, you know, a woman could pastor a church, a woman could serve as an elder, you know, as long as she's gone through the right channels, just like a man would. Yeah. The, the problem, though, with that view is that the word there um, for or in, um, in the Greek, uh, Uday, connects to teach and to have authority. So, so while um, if, it, if, one, if to teach or to exercise, if to, I'm sorry, I should say, to, if to exercise authority was seen as a negative, because it has a connected uday, teach would have to be in the negative too. So then you'd have to retranslate the passage to be something like, and this is what Kent Hughes says, um, to be something like, um, I do not permit a woman to teach error or to domineer over a man. And we don't see that in, in the text. Um, right. But like you said, there are translations that actually have differently, like the ESV, as I read, has to exercise authority over um, them. So there's a, a use of power on that one. Okay. All right. Yeah, And the, the two, the two infinitives here to teach and to have authority, they're closely connected, mm -hmm. but I would still say they are distinct. Yeah. Is an important point, but right. So, so, okay. So then another, another option is then when Paul says, I do not permit um, that, that phrase is in the present indicative not a command, not an imperative that we would know as a command. So therefore, he doesn't mean that as a once and for all decision. It's just for that temporary arrangement. So Paul is talking more about what's happening at that moment rather than giving something that carries over into different generations. Yeah, I think that that grammatical argument is suspect. But even apart from that, one of the key things in this passage is after Paul makes his statements, he then gives two reasons for the statements and the prohibition. And as you said earlier, we're not going to get into all of this, but one of the reasons has to do with the creational priority of the man and the woman. Mm -hmm. So he's grounding this outside of the culture of Ephesus and something that he is now saying, you know, this, this binding um, order uh, is to continue. And then also, I would say with that one, when, when you say, okay, because this is a present indicative, that means he's presently talking about this now, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean today, that gets you a really, kind of takes you back to the first argument that you can pick and choose, because there are some, right. pres, there are some present indicatives that we still follow today, but no one is arguing that. And so- See, you know, that's the thing. To, um, we could open our accordance or- Logos or Bible works and look up every present indicative in the New Testament. And 
I don't think we'd w- want to begin throwing them all out. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it just becomes this pick and choose game. Yep. Okay. So couple here, our last couple, uh, one here. Um, and honestly, this one here was new to me as I was studying this passage uh, for our discussion. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of heard it, but when I saw it, I thought, Oh, it's interesting um, that the references to the woman or women in this passage is referring to wives because of the way it parallels first Peter three, one through seven. Um, thus in that way, this teaching then would be not about the church, but more of domestic in the home, that that's what it's saying. The woman is not to have the authority in the home over the man. Ironically, people that use that argument to get out of the church issue, <laughs> they would fight it just as hard when you began pressing it in the home issue. But I, I think clearly in this passage, Paul is talking about church order, mm-hmm. and um, and he, he's just flowing through the role of men, the role of women. And then as he goes into chapter three, he talks about the church offices. So I, I would have difficulty with that, though it is true that the Greek word could refer to either mm-hmm. wives, women, whatever. But um, I think that really strains the context here. Yeah. And then finally, and I, I think really, honestly, as I looked at these, this one kind of really encapsulates the reason for a lot. Um, what will happen is uh, an interpreter who wants to take the idea, uh, I guess you say against the fact that of what Paul is saying, basically that trying to say that Paul's or how we've interpreted Paul is wrong. Um, they go to Galatians three twenty eight, where it mm-hmm. says there's neither Jew nor Greek slave or free male or female for you're all one in Christ. Therefore they have the idea that because we're in Christ, it's done away with all gender distinctions. There is no, um, you know, any, there, there's complete egalitarian I, ideas here in that one. Um, and it's basically they treat that text as the one text that every other text has to bow down to and yep. you know, and agree to. Yeah, two issues with that. Number one, the methodology, which you've just brilliantly stated. Um, do we have the liberty to choose a text and then decide this trumps everything else? And the second issue is, of course, the context of each statement. And it should be clear to anybody who studies the Bible, even casually, that in the Galatians 3 passage, Paul is talking about the fact that all people are justified in the same way. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this passage, he's again talking about church order. So totally two different topics. Yep. And again, um, what's interesting about this one is that, and, and I go to history because I'm a church history guy too. When you look at the hermeneutics of the early church, none of the major teachers of church history went this way. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was never seen that way. This is something that is a brand new idea, which is not necessarily makes it wrong, but you, you, you know, history does tend to give us credibility um, because this statement, this is a statement talking about our, our spiritual equality uh, before God. Um, whatever our status in life is, this is talking about here's who we are. So if, you know, in that same passage, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. So it's, we've mentioned ethnicity, we've mentioned socioeconomic position, and now we're mentioning, you know, gender, if you, to, to use that term. He's saying here, no, no, all of us are equal in Christ, before Christ, no matter, no matter what our ethnicity is, our socioeconomic status, or our gender is. That's what was being taught. That was what was being, and that's really, and if you look at it, that's really what helped the early church really explode because the Greco-Roman world did not value women 
So here comes the Christians going, we will, because here's who we are in Christ together. Yeah. Um, which is, is, is a big deal. So it kind of used, it, it's just that argument, uh, like you said earlier, doesn't really hold the, the weight it's believed to. All right. So that takes us to okay. another, another, go ahead. Let me throw this into another um, point that comes off of what you said. In fact, I thought this is the direction you were going. If one looked at the history of interpretation of this first Timothy two passage, it has consistently been that Paul is putting a prohibition down here on the role of women in the church. So kind of the thing I always come back to is either uh, the feminist movement today has come up with an exegetical insight on this text that everybody's missed for 1900 years, or they are being influenced by the culture. And I think we need to look very carefully at that. We can't let the culture dictate our exegesis. Hmm. And um, so that that's a kind of a, that goes for a lot of areas, not just this one. Now, as you just said, I'm glad you brought that up because we, some could say, well, that's what you're doing. And I say you as in like general you, that's what mm-hmm. the person who sees this as a prohibition is doing. They're letting the culture of Paul's day influence the interpretation. Maybe Paul was being influenced by the culture. Um, mm-hmm. So that when we run into that, we go, we have to go, okay, well, what do we believe about inerrancy? What do we believe about inspiration? Is this, right. is this a Paul book or is this also, or is this a inspired book from God? Is it a God and Paul, the dual authorship working together? Sometimes, a lot of times gets missed with that. So and when, now he talks, we, and when he talks about a similar issue in first Corinthians 11, he talks about this is the tradition of all the churches. Right. Um, so this was commonly accepted. So now we get into how is this passage or how can this passage be properly interpreted? And I'm going to use the word safely interpreted, following the guidelines that that we have set up in the past and, and how we look at this passage. Um, how do we go about, I'll let, you, I'll let you go and start. How do we go about safely interpreting this? We may arrive at different applications, but how do we go about safely interpreting this? Yeah, I think... Um... I think there are a couple of things here that I'll emphasize. Of course, there are a lot more than this, but but just two things. Number one, I think Paul is clear here that he is he is arguing that there are certain roles within the church that should only be held by men. And then we can quibble about what those might be, but I think that's the first point. And the second point I would make is that when he tells the, the woman to learn in silence, the word silence has the idea of a, a mode of learning or a demeanor of peace, a demeanor of acceptance. So when Paul says that only males should hold this particular office or do this particular thing, uh, the woman is to accept that as from God and to be okay with it because it is from God, it is not some kind of patriarchal domination that we're talking about. Yeah. Now, full disclosure, this, conver- this conversation has been had by myself in multiple different venues, and I want to make sure I say this. I, I don't see this as a male dominance type idea. There's some who will take this 
um, uh-huh. and, and run into what I'm a male chauvinism or, or whatever. By the way, right. I think that's, I think that's evil when that's done that way. Um, Absolutely. this, I, I see this passage and others like it, um, with, as really piggybacking my, our role as, as men, as compared to the, the role of a woman. So let me just throw it this way. And I'm a father of two boys. I have a little girl as well, but I have a father of two boys. And I tell my boys constantly, your job is to protect mommy and your sister. That's your job. Your, your job is to protect them. Um, now your job is to protect them physically. Your job is to protect them emotionally. Your job is to protect them spiritually. And, and, and I know they're like, and when I say that my daughter goes, well, I can take care of myself. And it's true. My daughter can, I've taught my daughter to throw an elbow on the punching bag downstairs. And if she hit me with that elbow anywhere near my temple, I'd have to relearn some things. I mean, she would knock me stupid with that. I mean, she couldn't hit me, but the point I'm trying to make is my son's job as, as the one of, as one of his jobs as the man is to protect. So for example, I have three questions I'm ready to ask my boys when they come home from a date. Number one, did you have a good time? Number two, did you protect her? Number three, did you protect her from you? That is your job. And so that being said, I, I use that to say this, the role of the pastor elder, I'm gonna use that term. It, as a pastor elder myself, it is, a, um, it is a tough job. It is an emotionally tough job. And there are times where I'll come home from a meeting and my wife will ask how to go. And, and uh, she, she, can, she knows already, she can read me like a book. She knows it didn't go well, but that's what she's asking. And I have a phrase where I'll say, sweetheart, you're beautiful. Your hair looks nice. She knows what that means. She knows I, I can't tell you. And I, I willingly choose not to tell her because there are some things that I just want to protect her from. I want to protect her from thinking certain things about that member that we're having to deal with or having to deal with that issue right now. Or sometimes I want to protect her from, hey, I've been under some attack. And hon, I know you could go and drop somebody, but you don't need to do that. It's just my job to protect. Um, not that she is not qualified to do it. Not that she could not do an amazing job at it, but that's the role that God's given me. And I take that seriously. So when I look at this passage and passages, like I said, like them, I don't see a male dominance. And if you see it that way, you're missing it. It's a, yeah. this is fulfilling your God designed role as protector um, of, of, of women and people. I use that term. A similar angle to look at it is the Bible tells all of us to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the Bible tells me to do, I don't like. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of commandments I'd like to break. And, and maybe that speaks horribly for, for me. But, but let's be honest, a lot of things in Scripture we either don't like or are very difficult. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line is, do I submit to God's authority or don't I? And um, I think that's what this is. God has called each sex to do different things. And um, ultimately we either submit to God or we don't. Yeah. And I think this is where the conversation gets into complementarian versus egalitarian. And those terms get thrown around a lot. Um, I think any form of, I think of, I think any form of compliment complementarianism that, as we said earlier, um, is demeaning or degrading to the woman in her position of the image of God, a bearer of the image of God is, is wrong. Um, when I look at comp- my definition of that complementarianism is that men and women are equal alike in essence and value, dignity, worth Absolutely. In, the, in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Yet there is a distinction. 
And to ignore right. the distinction is to not do service to what, God, or is not to, to show the glory of God in what, how he made what he made. Um, and so I, I think there's a point to that. And I get it that some people don't like the way that sounds. It's just the best I can do when I understand, as I understand the text. I, I would love to be more accepted, I guess you'd say, by what I'm saying, but I just can't. I, I'm, I'm handcuffed to the text. I have to do what it says and I have to speak what it speaks. Um, so there's that. Now, so what, so what then is Paul, as you're saying, we do kind of keep in mind the context of this passage. Like you said, Paul is talking about activity in the church. Um, mm-hmm. All of First Timothy here is about that. Later on, right after this, he's going to get into the qualifications of a pastor and the qualifications of deacons and, and how that's supposed to go. So there is a part of here how this works in the church. So uh, maybe I should ask you this way. So uh, you're saying here that, as we mentioned, there are certain roles, certain positions, maybe even offices held by men only. Um, so you're saying here, and I think I would agree with you, this is talking about the pastor elder role. I see this passage as saying he's definitely he's prohibiting women of holding the pastor elder role in the church. I would agree with that. Okay. And as we both know, pastor, elder, bishop, all refer to the same office. So, right. you know, however we would word that today in the church, I, I think Paul is prohibiting that. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's another question. I don't know if we part ways on this or not. Are you going to ask it? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going there or not. Yeah, you ask it. But Go ahead. Are, are we agreed on the role, role issue as far as the office? That this, is talking about the, are, right? that this is talking about the pastor elder? Yeah. Oh, I think it is. Yeah, so we're together on that. Yeah. Um, Where I think I, we disagree would, is... Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do it. The people want to hear us fight. So I think <laughs> we're... I would say... I, and I'll say this way. I come from a pretty conservative church, um, and there are some... There are some people I was, I was I've grown up in a conservative church and there are some that would historically say women can never teach men um that I would disagree on and now I think personally in the local church as long as that is not as long as the what's being taught here is the woman is is not aspiring she's not going after that office of the elder elder pastor but mm-hmm. she's she's teaching the class I think that's yeah, I, I I would take it to the next level. And, um, I would argue that a woman should not teach men in the church, even if she doesn't hold that particular office. Okay. So I think where we agree is based on this text, a woman should not hold the office of what we would call a pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I, I would go on to say, I think this would prohibit her from teaching a class of men, even if she didn't hold the office, and if I'm understanding you correctly, you, you think that would be allowable? Yeah, I th- I don't I don't see a problem with that at all. Um, but again, that's the word. The, that's the beauty of biblical interpretation. I think if you like we said earlier, if you interpret following the safe guidelines of of interpretation, what the text is saying, the applications we we've got the interpretation. I think together we're together on that. But the application where where do we go with that? I think that's where the differences is. And so that's totally fine. We can, we can always still be friends and all that. Um, and I think that's good. So yeah, good question, tough question. And honestly, 
a 30, 20 to five to 30 minute podcast cannot really do it justice, but we'd like to encourage um, our listeners to do further study. And um, there's some great resources out there uh, just on this topic. I mentioned the past, I mentioned the book that we referred to getting these various views. Um, R. Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell's Guarding the Deposit, Preaching the Word series on First, Tim- First Second Timothy and Titus. I think that's good. Um, there's also some really great resources about the roles of men and women in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Do they have one of those, one of the, the five I think, point counterpoint mm. books? Is there, I think there's one on that on roles of women. Is there? I, I, if there is, I haven't read it, but yeah, there could I, well be. I'm pretty sure there is. I think I might have it here on my shelf somewhere. Um, but, uh, and then there's also an, another great resource out there about, about this topic um, is a book put out. It's an older book. It's put out by um, Robert Saucy um, and Judith Tennelshoff, and it's called Women and Men in Ministry, A Complimentary Perspective. And it's put out by Moody Publishers. Uh, it's a good book on this. It gives different ideas, gives different views on 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 roles and positions of authority uh, within the church. I think those are good resources that maybe our listeners could get, pick up just to further their understanding rather than just listening to this 20 to 30 minute soundbite on the topic. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because yeah, we just scratched the surface of this. So um, people could be upset. Oh, why didn't you deal with this? Or he didn't deal with that. Or does he even know that that's an issue? Yeah, we do. It's just not within the scope of what we're doing right now. And again, as always, we want to mention, feel free to disagree with us. Um, we are not setting ourselves up as the standard of any kind of absolutes on this one. We're, we're just reading the text and trying to understand what it's saying in its, in, in its time, and its culture, uh, looking at the various different things, we, like we talked about here, the context and things like that it may lead you to different conclusions. But um, again, we see uh, this, I think we see, like I said, see this on the same page but we would me, you and I differ on the application of it. Okay. All right. Well, that's been another episode of the Bible guys. Thanks for being a listener. As always, if you've got a question, you'd like to hear us talk about something, a passage to take a look at, you may email us at bibleguyspodcast at gmail.com. You could also uh, check us out on Instagram at bibleguyspod and on Twitter with that same handle at bibleguyspod. Uh, for Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Kleiner. We'll see you next time.